Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, and welcome to What in Tar Nation, Tar Heel Blog's hot take podcast. On this episode, we're discussing Phil Longo leaving UNC for Wisconsin and the men's basketball win over Georgia Tech. I'm Tanya Anderson, and with me as always are Brandon Anderson and Julius Emanuel. Guys, they actually won a game. I know. It's about time, right? Big, (laughs) big changes over the last couple podcasts. Moving on. Hey, you know, we took a four-game losing slide to get here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, other than that. Hey, look at us. Who would have thought? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that. We should start with first things first. And uh, we got a bit of news last week. Um, and, I mean, I don't know that it can be considered very surprising. I think we speculated about it here. Um, I don't think it necessarily happened the way that we thought it might, but Phil Longo decided to take the offensive coordinator job at Wisconsin. And um, yeah, so UNC will not have Phil Longo to blame any offensive woes or play calling or red zone inefficiency on next season. I can't say that we will be openly weeping about that, but you know. Yeah, I don't think we will. Um, From what we were able to gather, it sounds like his wife has family in Wisconsin and that had something to do with it. I, and um, Julius, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording. It, it very well could be that him and Mac had a conversation behind the scenes. Um, that probably tracks because I know during some of his pressers this season, you got the feeling that Mac was a little bit over some of the things that the offense were doing. Um, he was somehow more critical of the offense than the defense, which is probably telling you something considering the offense was the better group of the two, but yeah, um, it's, it's a needed change. I think that this gives Mac an opportunity to maybe possibly step outside of his comfort zone and find an offensive coordinator that will get him where they need to go. Um, Tanya's shaking her head. No, uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I know, but the opportunities there, whether or not he takes it, is up to him. 
No, I agree. And um, let me preface what I'm going to say with a couple of things here. So number one, I guess shout out to Corey Smith and Pack Pride because apparently they can't write anything about themselves. And, you know, everything that happens for Carolina football, they're jumping on. I'll, I've seen them write more about Carolina football and I have them write about Pack Athletics. And, you know, that's kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> the second thing um, that I was going to say was, yeah, so not only did we speculate about it last week, but we said we mentioned it the week before as well, right? So, like, how bad of an ending to the season was that uh, offensively? You know, and I'm not just talking about the normal Carolina stuff here, right? Um, you know, give Phil Longo his dues, his air raid offense, uh, awesome. They put up, you know, impressive numbers. He's been very well. But you just can't have someone who was either very close to you or already as, as the leading candidate for the Heisman and then do what happened to end the season, you know, and it to be for it to look so fundamental, like not not a one off, not, you know, an issue here. It was just so fundamentally flawed. And yeah, so we won't have Longo next season, but we also won't have our offensive line coach either. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Don't know that uh, there will be tears shed over that one either. Yeah. Um, one thing that we talked about when we were speculating about Longo not being on board next season was not knowing how Drake May would feel about that. Um, obviously, when asked if he would transfer, uh, he gave sort of the half answer. Uh, he said that it was his plan mm-hmm. to be in Chapel Hill next year, which is, I mean, not the most like uh, concrete kind of answer that you would want to hear in, in that situation. Oh, I cringe um, that. <laughs> yeah, it it was not something that should make you feel good um, about the situation. It had like a secret butt in there. It, it felt like there was the butt. If somebody offered me the right scholarship, A. Right. Um, So whether coincidental or not, uh, Drake put a little more oomph behind what his plans are for next year. Right after Longo announced that he was leaving. Um, And I mean, it was as definitive as it gets. Said that he could never leave Chapel Hill. Um, you can read what you will into that. We certainly have. Um, I, I, I don't, I would, if anyone could convince me that that was not related, I think I would be, uh, pretty impressed by that. But, uh, the timing makes it as such that, um, I, I can't really be convinced that the two were not linked. So the only thing that I'll say about that definitively is that for the people that were um, on Twitter that I saw, fans and non-fans alike were like, oh, why did he have to announce that? You know, this is kind of lame. Y'all were the reason why he had to announce it. You're the ones who spun up the rumors that he was transferring. Um, And poor Wisconsin, like, how funny was that? They spent a a good two hours convincing themselves that Drake was going to follow Longo to Wisconsin only for him to put out that social media post. (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't know how realistic of a chance there was that he was going to transfer. None of us will ever know because it didn't happen. Um, I do remember somebody reaching out to me on Twitter and mentioning, they said something like they thought he was going to transfer to Alabama. And my response was like, LOL, no. Um, I just, if he wanted to go to Alabama, he would have went when he was committed to Alabama. Like that's point blank the end. I don't feel like there was anything going on at Alabama that deterred him. I think he wanted to come to Chapel Hill. Um, because I mean, if you're wanting to win a national title, let's just be honest about this. Alabama's the best position for you. So there was something about UNC that made him want to go. And obviously he has a lot of family ties there. Um, I think he did throw us for a loop with his PR friendly answer when asked the first time. I think his tweet probably confirms that he probably wasn't considering it. But once again, I think it's just one of those situations that we will never know the truth. We just know he's staying. And I mean, I'm thankful for that because in a world where he felt particularly connected to what Phil Longo did to get him in the position that he was in up until the wheels fell off and the engine fell out. Um, I mentioned it in the last podcast, but you know, he, he could have been apprehensive about wanting to stay in a place with a new offensive coordinator in his big NFL tryout season. Um, Clearly, he does not feel that way, or he wouldn't have been so committal in that tweet. I think that's good news for all of us, but um, it will definitely be interesting to see what direction Mac ends up going in. Um, like you said, I do think there there is opportunity there. I just don't know that that will be taken. He's a very I got a buddy from college type guy. Yeah, he he is the I know a guy guy. Yeah. And maybe we don't need the guy that we know this time. Um maybe go get someone else's guy that they know. Seth Trail. Seth Trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's all I'm saying. And um I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast but um, we've talked off the podcast about, um, the tweet that went around about the average age of coaching staffs Yes, and how coaching staffs that tend to be younger tend to be the ones that are doing extremely well. Um, UNC is not on that list, uh, as you make us um and i i think that it would not hurt to at least move a little bit that direction and try to get some of the newer ideas and schematics and that kind of thing uh while there is this opportunity with someone as talented as may is can we kill one thing though the head coach and waiting thing, that's not going to happen. No. No. And I think it's overblown every time it is mentioned. Like, 
in in almost every situation, people see a guy and they're like, oh, head coach and waiting. And then he like goes and gets hired at a completely different program before that head coach ever leaves or anything like that. Unless it is like a John Shire at Duke situation. And even that I wasn't convinced until it actually happened that that was what they were going to do. But other than that, it's it's probably not a thing. I I don't know who Carolina's next coach is going to be. You don't know who Carolina's next coach is going to be. I think they, again, we, we talked about this before, like it's been a lot of safe choices. Yeah. And um, I fully believe that that will be the case whenever they go through it next time. Yeah. I can definitely see them going safe again. Um, it's going to be Gene Chizik. Oh, my goodness. Probably. Now that you say that, it really well, is going to be Gene Chizik. Well, okay, though. But if we're, ta- if we're talking about scenarios here, would it be the worst idea to give Coach Warren full control of the defense and let Chizik call the offense? Because obviously he knows how to uh, have numbers put up against him. So right. just keep doing what you're doing, buddy. <laughs> yes. So call call the plays only offensively that you would have called defensively. Like you know, come on. Let's play this chess game. Yeah, let's do it. Now I I'll say this, and I guess uh, on some level I do agree with you, but if they do that this time, uh with having Drake here, um yeah, that's that's going to be bad, um, and it's not going to end well for anyone on the staff. No, no one. Like you can't have uh, who should be who should have been a Heisman candidate finalist at least uh, this year, uh, and going in as a, a Heisman candidate um, as a Heisman candidate next year, and for you, you know, just to, to again draw from the the good old boys club. You can't do that unless unless they actually do it and it's successful. Um, you know. <laughs> And see, that's the thing about expectations that I feel like Carolina football is not incredibly used to. Like, I I don't know the last time they even had anybody close to the Heisman conversation. And I think once you get there and your hire is heavily tied to making sure this guy is in Heisman contention, you 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 have to be sweating like you you have to make sure that you are nailing this hire or there are going to be a lot of questions asked and a lot of are there though like from us yes <laughs> from the school I don't, I don't think so there has to be and and not just because of Drake but it's a uh seemingly a repeat of what happened with Sam Howell yeah yeah and for you to have one of those, you know, I feel like you can kind of get away with it. Because, again, you know, like Brandon mentioned, this is UNC football. I'm not kind of used to it. But we just did this exact same thing with Sam Howe. So, mm-hmm. you know, Bubba's got to be thinking, you know, would have to be thinking in this scenario. That's not a good look for anybody. Right. It's not. But I just, I feel like Mac would have to run over an old lady crossing the street with her cat. For anything to happen. I'm telling you right now, if we go into next season and it's lackluster and, you know, Drake kind of falls off like Sam did, 
is no one's going to be safe. And because not just from the boosters perspective, the fans, and they're already on edge anyway, uh, as they always are, but uh, the fans are just going to be insane. I'm telling you, it'll, it'll be like the flip of a switch if this happens next season. Okay, but let me present this scenario to you. They're not lackluster. They are fine. And it's like an eight-win season. You really, you really think that that would be enough to make wholesale changes? Depending on what I mean, happens. So I, I just want to put it out there. I, I agree with you. I am coming at this from the perspective of someone who thinks that they take another eight-win season with sellout crowds at Keenan to the bank and are like, hey, well, we'll see what next year brings. Okay, fair. Uh, eight-win season with sellout crowds without the Drake May thing would not warrant that. But an eight-win season, sellout crowds, and then you get you know seemingly embarrassed again, second year in a row, third year overall, and you know in the last couple of years, yeah, I think there was some someone's going to have a black eye, uh, and it's and it's going to be on the the staff. It's going to be someone unexpected, and I hope we're just talking about this because um, for nothing, you know, just dreaming it up because I hope they they get it um, figured out. But you can't do this again. You can't you can't have the same thing happen next season. And I think if it does happen again and no changes are made, I think that finally answers the question of how serious is Bubba Cunningham willing to take football? Like there's constantly been this conversation of, you know, Carolina needs to be relevant. They need to be, you know, talked about getting into college football playoffs, things like that. You have to be really serious about that. It can't just be about selling tickets. It has to be – you have to constantly be tinkering. And I think if you accept um, – I'm going to say mediocrity just from the sense of, hey, we had a good season because we had a winning record, time to move on to the next one. Like if you accept that every year, you don't take football seriously. I hope you both are right. Truly, I just feel like if they plod through the season winning more than they lose and they make it to the ACC championship game and lose again, mm-hmm. that that will be good enough. Well, see, I hate that. Well, see, here's the part that we're forgetting here. We don't have divisions next year, so we can't yeah. do that. Well, no. I'm not saying, you know – win a bad coastal i'm saying like i mean like an eight four record is not going to take us to uh the title game next year they're not going to win a bad a bad coastal because of the lack of divisions thing but i just i don't know like i said this is me being the way that i am which is to prepare for things that i feel like are inevitable to make me angry and that way anything that's not that is a pleasant surprise. That's fair. That that's fair. <laughs> that is, I think we've had enough pleasant surprises over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. There have been pleasant surprises. Well, unpleasant surprises. <laughs> <laughs> there there have been plenty of unpleasant surprises. 
<laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. But pleasant surprises is a nice segue into basketball where there was the pleasant surprise of them looking more like a Carolina basketball team. Should I guess, but that shouldn't be a pleasant surprise. That should, should just be, but they haven't. So I, I guess there's that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that was unpleasant because of the way it happened and the way we know that it needs to continue and it's not going to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they they managed to snap their four game losing streak. Um, it was their uh first game at home in, in 95 years. Um Baycott was back from his shoulder injury, although clearly not a hundred percent. Um but Things looked better. Um, I think a non-zero amount of that was that they actually shared the ball. There were assists in the game, um, which have been sorely missing from some of these uh, less than pleasant games we've had to watch. Yeah. Well, how can you how can you assist when you're pulling up three seconds into the shot clock? <laughs> That's a great question. I guess you're assisting your stat sheet in a good or a bad way, but that's about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they had 15 assists in this one. Um, the leading assist guy was Caleb Love. Who would have thought? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> he had one more than he had turnovers. And obviously that was in the second half. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, again, it's one of those things where you see it and you don't know how much is coincidence and how much isn't, but um, Hubert seemingly benched Caleb in the first half when he was turning it over a lot and shooting pretty poorly from the field. Um, And Seth Trimble was a revelation in his place. Um, and I don't know if that unlocked something or, um, if it was just, like I said, coincidence that things turned around in the second half, but I can't imagine that that, uh, left a nice taste in his mouth. Yeah. And I kind of want to draw on something that, um, I said last season, you know, um, and maybe Hubert has the ability to do that now with Seth Trimble uh, being on the team. I don't know. But last season, I called for, we called for, I said, hey, maybe you need to sit love when he's coming out uh, and and playing like that, you know, with turnover machine and not making any shots because he's certainly not helping you. Um, And rarely would he shoot himself or play himself out of it, right? Um, So I hope going forward that is a recipe that that, uh, Huber is willing to use because we do have viable players now. If he didn't think that we had them last season, 
Um, so yeah, but that's the that's the way that I took it. And you know, maybe maybe not specifically uh sit because you're not playing well kind of thing, but you know, sit to get out of your own head kind of thing, like and, and kind of look at what's going on. <laughs> I think that's a very good way to look at it. I think sometimes when things aren't working for Caleb, he decides that he needs to keep doing what he is doing and eventually it will work. And I think it's, it's definitely falling into that definition of insanity. So I think Hubert finally broke that. Um, And when Trimble went in there, him and RJ looked really good together on the floor like really good um they I, I think they got a turnover or two during those last couple minutes um everything just looked good it, it looked like what we would expect from Carolina basketball and then um in the second half Caleb came back in and he did better there was still some rough spots um but for the most part, you could tell that he played a little more in control. Um, his shooting from three still isn't great. And the whole team's shooting from three is like bad. not suitable for work <laughs> numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and when you mentioned that uh, you know, he played he was playing a little better. So you can absorb those um mistakes that he was making in the second half when you're up. You can't yeah. do it when you, when it's a close game or you're down. Um, yeah, so. And I feel like because Baycott was back and because they finally realized that they needed to make the much-needed adjustment of having Baycott really, like, uh, I guess, dominate the paint. Um, because a lot of what was going on before was he was coming out having to set screens high for Caleb and Caleb was, you know, he would either try to kick it to somebody around the perimeter or he would shoot it. Most of the times he shot it. Um, we saw Baycott posting up a lot more, getting a lot more touches. Um, he led the team in shots, which. That is big because I know I pointed out um, in a couple of games like there is no reason why Armando Baycott should only be taking six shots yeah. in a game. That just doesn't spell success for this team. So. Right. I just I think as long as they can stick with that, I think that will make things a bit easier on the perimeter because right now I feel like if you're, you know, not counting the Georgia Tech game, what you're scouting for if you're the opposing team is they're going to try to shoot a three. They're, they're going to try to shoot away from the rim, just make them shoot their low percentage shots. You'll get a rebound. And I really feel like that's why other teams were leading in the rebound. It's part of the reason. But, you know, I think that's why other teams were having success rebounding too is because they were just like okay shoot it i'm gonna be right waiting right here get the ball we're gonna score in transition and we're just gonna keep doing that well it doesn't help when uh you take a shot and and the rest of your teammates are still under the other basket because they haven't actually made it down the floor to Mm -hmm. rebound it yet um i'm just saying (laughs) um but yeah i think 
Seth is a really good sort of like foil for Caleb because he's not going to give you the points that Caleb is, at least right now. But I think one thing that Seth has going for him is that he has really brought a lot of good energy defensively. And I feel like that is one place where Caleb is not always as strong. Um, So it really is like almost a perfect like counter to Caleb. Like Seth's going to come in and probably share the ball a bit better. And he's going to come in and defend a bit better. He's more of a point guard than Caleb is really what it feels like. Um, I've been on the record of saying I still don't know why we have Caleb doing anything related to a point guard spot. He's not a point guard, but Hubert's going to keep doing it. So, um, but yeah, like with Trimble in the game, especially when RJ's in the game as well, you feel more like you have two point guards that are able to get things done and not just one that touches the ball 40% of the time while the other guy that isn't a point guard touches it 60% of the time. So a question for you guys though, because I thought there was a stretch there, at least in the beginning of last season when Caleb was, you know, facilitating and dishing that out. Um, If, if that were so maybe the big, the biggest difference this season is he's not shooting that well. So they're able to approach him differently than they were, you know, last season when, you know, he seemingly was, or at least the beginning of last season. Cause I know that went off the rails too at, at some point, but yeah. I think it's a little bit of that because we know that he sort of has the mindset of like, if that one didn't go in, the next one will. So I think he tries to shoot himself out of his funk and his funk has lasted most of the season to this point. Um, I also think that the team as a whole kind of got into a weird rhythm in the first several games where it felt like they were all just kind of like freelancing it out there. Yeah. Um, And I don't think that was helped by the way Caleb plays, but I also think that some of that happened as a result because it was it was just very much like five dudes standing around and they're supposed to be playing together but it seemed like they were all kind of doing their own thing yeah um but i definitely think like you know the sort of like oversimplification that roy always said where like everything looks better when the ball's going in the basket like Caleb looks a lot better when the ball's going in the basket. And I think that he looks like a more well-rounded player when that's happening because he's not forcing it for himself as much. And he's less sort of in his head about what he needs to do. And I think that that lent itself to being a bit of a better facilitator before. Um, but also, like, you, they can't always just let him shoot out of his slumps right. to the detriment of, of everything else. 
especially if you're that serious about making it back to the national championship, you just, you have to, you have to do what you have to do to win. You, you have other options that don't involve shooting yourself out of a slump. You can get shots for your teammates, um, whether they're on the perimeter or in the paint, like you can do other things. Um, I hope he realizes that soon. Um, I think sometimes he looks like he realizes it and obviously other times he doesn't. Um, so it's just a matter of him consistently being a playmaker, really, which that that can mean two different things. But I think it's a very delicate line to walk with Caleb. Like on one hand, you want him to help carry your offense, but you don't want him to put the burden on himself to do it all so that he shoots at the volume that he was in the Alabama game, for instance. But you don't want him to have to create shots because that isn't really what he's the best at. But you don't want him to not be able to do that because then, you know, it it sort of closes off your offense and it's the struggles that we've seen early this season. And you don't want him to be so confident that he is just going to get out there and shoot and shoot and shoot, um, hoping that the next one's going to fall. But you also don't want to wreck his spirit to the point that he feels like it's going to be forever. So it's it's definitely like a very fine needle to thread I feel like and I'm glad I'm not the one that has to do it because it seems it seems very difficult but um I think that's kind of what happens when you have a guy who I mean we even talked about this with like Kobe White's first or only year at at Carolina obviously um like we watched him play in high school and it was very clear that he was a lot of times the only guy on his team who could score. Yeah. And he very clearly took a lot of that on himself to do because if he wasn't doing it, they were probably going to lose. Um, and I think a lot of guys come into college with that mindset, unless you went to one of the like, everyone's a star, everyone's D1 kind of school Uh but the thing is we're three years in now yeah so we kind of need to not have the mindset of like if I can't do it it's not going to be done because like my guy you are surrounded by guys who can help you it it would also be a little different if um in year three you had that mindset and there was anything that justified it yeah Yeah. you were doing if you were getting 30 40 point games every night okay fine yeah go ahead uh but with the three point percentage um the way that it is just overall field goal percentage the way that it is yeah no maybe don't take that shot yeah Yeah. and there's just really there's nothing that even calls for it i mean even when they're struggling um i i can't fathom the thought process that 
would make that feel like the solution instead of what we know works for Carolina's system. Yeah. Which is getting it down low and occasionally kicking it back out. But Right, and I think that's – it's interesting because I feel like somehow the – players surrounding Baycott basically it used to be Baycott and Manic I I, I guess Nance it, you could throw him in there but um it's almost like they forgot that that's really how you get easier shots out there is make the other team afraid of Baycott um and don't get me wrong teams have played Baycott very hard this year so far so it's not like anything was ever going to be easy for him and that he's just taking a nap near the room but I've just gotten the feeling up to this game and I mean even some points of this game that they're almost trying to play outside in and that's just not going to work that's never worked especially not when you have as low of a three-point percentage as, as you do exactly Especially now when you can't hit the broad side of a barn. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was at least an, an encouraging sign. Um, hopefully a sign of things to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, we gotta learn to hit some threes, I swear. Yeah. They really need to be able to hit threes for this team to be successful. And that's and I don't know where they're coming from. If they're not already there. Well, I'm going to say, well, they have been coming from the parking lot. If you're talking about where they're shooting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just looking at the box score. One thing that's kind of driving me nuts is, I mean, really two things. RJ Davis and Pete Nance took two three-pointers apiece. Well, RJ was too busy rebounding. Yeah. Yeah, shout outs to him having a double double, a rebound double double. That's really funny. He was a beast. (laughs) But I want to see him shoot a little more. I know he's kind of part of the volume problem in the backcourt, but I also feel like, like, it's not that him and Caleb don't need to keep taking those shots. They just have to be smarter shots. That's really the whole thing. And with Pete Nance, I feel like he just needs to take more in general. I think he's always been a high percentage, low volume guy. And I want to see a little bit more just to get a better feel for if he can shoot at a high efficiency with a relatively decent volume. Guards keep the announcers from saying he didn't need to take that shot challenge. Yeah. That's the main goal. (laughs) Uh, and I heard them during the Georgia Tech game. Uh, he said that uh, Huber, oh, Corey said Huber considers some of the bad shots that um, Caleb takes as turnovers. Let me find out you've been listening to the podcast, Coach Davis. <laughs> Thanks for telling us. I've been saying that all. I said all season. Yeah. yeah, bad shots or turnovers. That's just you're you're giving the ball away with your bad choices. It's fine. We got you. Yeah. Happy to help. <laughs> Speaking of happy, 
We got Jalen Washington back. Your transitions tonight have been just flawless. Thank you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Kofi. Yes, Jalen Washington is fun, and I don't know how much he's going to play this season, but I'm going to have a good time when he does play. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to uh, – they're going to have to walk a fine line with him. Um, he is just now getting back to, I guess, playing shape. Um, I think he had been practicing, but I don't know what type of practicing we're talking about. Like if he's been running five on five or anything like that, I want to say that he has for at least a month maybe. But um, I definitely want to see him play more eventually i know it's going to be slow getting there um i think he's going to be a difference maker for when baycott's on the bench if he is utilized um because right now having pete nance play the five it's a little scary, it's a little scary. i don't love it um i think he is definitely of power forward in the most literal sense. I don't know that the center is necessarily the right position for him ever. Um, And that's fine. But Washington is just, he's so big and he's the little bit of athleticism we saw, you kind of got an idea of what he was doing in high school before he got injured and, I just I just think that he will be valuable if we can if he can get to where he's getting, you know, maybe 15 to 20 minutes a game. Yeah, no, I agree. And I was very happy um to see but see him play because again, you know, that was his first game since what, July 2021. Um March, yeah. <clears throat> so that was um, so yeah, happy to, happy that he got in the game, and then happy he scored. And yeah, like you said, I think if we can build on what we did against Georgia Tech, and it's not like it's anything foreign. They just sometimes don't execute it very well. And I mean, everybody involved, you know, not just not just one person. They can actually put together games like that um, and utilize, be able to utilize Jalen come um, next year, heading into March. Then yeah. We we've definitely got a shot, but we got to see. And obviously, um, one of our next tests comes very soon, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah. They get sort of one last warm up shot against the Citadel tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. And then uh, CBS Sports Classic. Not not my favorite event. No, because I feel like it goes. <laughs> I'm just happy to not be playing Kentucky again this year. Yes, there's that. But when's the last time, like, when's the last time that it has gone well? Um, I want to say the last time it went well was maybe against UCLA. Maybe. Don't quote me on that, but that sounds familiar to me. I don't know. I don't have I don't have fond memories of the Champions class. No. Or CBS class. It's never I really, really don't. <laughs> it's never a fun time. Just out here trying to ruin Christmas. Uh-huh. 
yeah. But I do believe we beat Ohio State the last time we played them in it. That that could be. Because I believe it was in D.C. at the time. Okay, yeah. I know at one point we played Ohio State in Ohio, I think. That didn't go very well. But I also think that – I think that would might have been the really bad season anyway. <laughs> when do our – when do our out-of-conference road game trips to, like, bonafide base or basketball arenas turn out well? Not often. This is why Coach K never did it. Yeah, I suppose. But then your team doesn't face that kind of stuff until conference play, and then yeah. But they had a Merry Christmas. Yeah, there's a <laughs> yeah. You either you either get the Duke treatment where they get the. You know how many tweets, honestly, that I have been able to tweet about the number one team in the country being zero and one in ACC play because <laughs> <laughs> their first road game after their year was always like the Boston College or something, and they would lose, and I would definitely do that, and Duke fans would be so mad. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe stop losing then. So there's nothing to be mad about. They had a happy, a very Merry Christmas, but a very bad start to the new year. (laughs) (laughs) It was like rinse, wash, and repeat every time. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, CBS Sports Classic. Um, Ohio State's ranked 23rd. So definitely a leap up in competition from Georgia Tech. They just barely beat Rutgers, though. And there's that. I feel like you shouldn't barely beat Rutgers. But didn't place. Rutgers beat Indiana? I was about to say, we just, they I, did. I know I played this game and we went to play Indiana. We know how that worked. Rutgers <laughs> beat the brakes off Indiana. Oh, yeah. Wow. At home on the road. At home. But it was 63 48. Yeah. Um, was it like the game before we played them? After. Uh, that's right. I did see that. Yeah, I kind of blocked that out because I was like, you know what? <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. I also don't want to talk about what Caleb Grill has done every game since that one. So, you know, it's it's fine. Not traumatic at all. Well, let's talk about something a little happier uh, for only a brief moment. The women's team, they bounced back. They're now in seventh, seventh again. They retired with NC State for eighth last week. Um, so they're back to seventh. I saw a tweet where I th- they said it was their highest average ranking, like to start the season since you know, like over ten years. Wow, very impressive. They're killing it. Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, we talked about both of them going to Indiana, and I said I felt better about the girls than I did the guys. I stand by that. Um, but they both came away on the bad end of that situation. But I'm glad to see that they have bounced back. And um, I think I think they're going to be really, really good this year. Yeah. And I also feel like there's more leeway in the women's poll for, like, losing games as opposed to the men's uh, teams. I don't know why that is. But um, 
if it's not mistaken, they only dropped to 11. And then, you know, 11th, they went to 8th. Or, they, no, I'm sorry, they dropped to 8th. That's when they tied with NC State, coming off of a loss. And, you know, Carolina, the men's team, would never have been given that level of support from voters. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a they have a tough game coming up soon, too, against Michigan. Yeah. So. Which is another situation where the men's and the women's team play the same team. Yeah. Oh, no. We're going to play Michigan again. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, last year we kind of beat the brakes off of them. But... Hunter Dickinson's looking a, quite a bit better this season, and I think that makes me a little nervous. But at the same time, he has not had fun against Baycott ever. But I say, is like he going to graduate? <laughs> I feel like every Michigan game I watch, though, they're like in a dogfight. Looking forward to that. No, no, I'm not. No, not not so much. I'll be Uh, glad. Whether or not I'm looking forward to that depends highly, is highly dependent on what happens with um, Ohio State. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, especially since Michigan's unranked. You know, if we can get through Ohio State, then. Ideally, ideally, Michigan will be a little bit easier, but we'll see. But if we etch out a six-point win against the Citadel tomorrow, we might have to do an emergency podcast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We're going to have to talk, to talk about that one for sure. If for no other reason than to make everyone mad enough that they play really well against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. See, we're on the same page. We're not. We're finally getting there. <laughs> <laughs> We rip them, they give us a good half. We rip them, they give us a good half. Yeah. There you go. So we will just spend an hour giving them the business and uh, see what happens. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's probably all for this one. We will be back maybe sooner rather than later, depending on how tomorrow goes. I hope we don't uh, have to. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're not back sooner. Sure. Uh, but in the meantime, would you like to tell the people where they can find you? Um, you can find me at THB Brandon. You can find me at UNC underscore Tar Heel fan. And I am at Tanya underscore underscore Anderson. Till next time, go Heels. Go Heels. Go Heels.